0: Hi and welcome to a new episode of the State of the Net Podcast Quarantine Edition. I'm Paolo Valdemarine. And I'm you and simple. And we're still stuck at home.
1: <laughs> well, actually you say stuck at home. I'm, and this, you know, I've had one or two people online sort of get slightly tetchy with me about not being miserable <laughs> in the sense that, you know, we're, 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 I know we're very lucky. We've got a garden, we live near countryside. Um, and I know that some people are going through really, really shit times at the moment. But at one level, you know, we've got our kids with us. Things have slowed down a lot. We've all noticed how we've sort of got more time. Instead of you know, instead of being on top of each other, we've actually got more time for each other. Um, and it's just a, a really interesting readjustment. Um, And it's sort of actually triggered a number of posts that I've done about just that general opportunity out of this. And again, not to minimise the suffering and distress that the coronavirus is causing, but, you know, how many times ever, never mind in a lifetime, do you get a global reset opportunity? And in fact, I never thought I'd hear myself quoting Bill Gates in a podcast, but he was saying, um, it's like a war, but there's no enemy. It's just us, you know, so we're pulling together. And, uh, you know, it's just made me wonder about when, we, when how, if we come out of this, how much, we, uh, how much we make the most of that opportunity.
0: Did you read Bill Gates' uh, In The Economist this week is a quote in Churchill and uh is he? yes and he said that this is not the end this is not even the beginning of the end but it is perhaps the end of the beginning interesting in the sense that he's saying you know we're seeing some change overall especially in western countries and uh, it's not the end but maybe it's mm. the end of the beginning i think that the question is uh How sticky this change is, yeah. Because um, you know, I think that uh, we 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 went through the initial phase of uh, everything is new, and you know, this is we're working from home, we're working remotely, and uh, I don't remember how many days or for how long you have to start doing something to keep doing something before you become a habit. But probably, you know, it's been long enough for stuff to become habits. And I guess it's uh, I mean, personally, you know, living in a one bedroom flat with no garden and no family and nobody having Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. have. I mean, I think it's been six weeks since I last had a conversation in person with anybody. Um, I am feeling the fatigue of uh, doing everything through this medium. It's uh, it's um, it's it's a combination of thing it's uh, it's to some degree, it's even a matter of posture. I mean, the fact that, you know, every conversation you have, you're sitting on a desk in front of a screen <laughs> yeah, true. is, uh, yeah, so true. you know, I, I, try to, to move around to, you know, I, I, use my iPad for friends conversation and my back for work conversations, but uh, I mean, I can't say that I can't wait for this to be over so we can st- go back to having meetings, but i haven't seen yet at least in my personal experience that step forward where we say okay it can't continue like this we need to change the way we do things so maybe we need to meet we need to do less meetings the point is not oh, we do meetings on zoom we do meeting in person is do we need to have all these meetings um, do we need to become smarter about uh, uh, you know they call it smart working but it is truly in many cases the same dumb working we were doing before we're just doing it on a phone Uh, so it's um i and and it is probably very likely that uh, at this point from where we are now from where i can see this will continue for quite a while because yes you know they might let us get out uh, in in a few weeks but uh, if you can work from home you probably should continue working from home for you know some indefinite future so yeah. we're, we're going to have plenty of time to fix things to improve things but uh, i haven't i i think that basically you know, there has been the initial curve of excitement. Then there has been this slope of despair. And uh, whatever will come out of this is probably going to be the sticky bit. And uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what is going to happen. Um, but uh, it, that I would say that it hasn't happened yet. Maybe there is a predisposition for it. Um, but uh, I'm still waiting
1: to see the the change if we If we had show titles, the sticky bit would be a prime candidate wouldn't it <laughs> well, you know you
0: know that I need to pick two words to put in the on uh, oh well, there you go I,
1: I have it <laughs> but it's it's interesting because I've been mean, watching again my wife you know who's doing constant online meetings. And like you, she, she's suffering physically from just that constant single position and has made efforts to try and change that. And again, totally, you're right about the way we're just at the moment replicating what we used to do, but in a, in a virtual way. And I saw an article um, that was a conversation that that Ross Mayfield was taking part in. And for those of you who don't know, he was one of the sort of early folks who built software to help collaboration in, in, an, in an enterprise setting. And you know, we were just saying that there are so many other options and mixes of options, and you know, some of us have been around, begin to appreciate the benefits of asynchronous conversations and all, all the other stuff that, that that's possible, but as you say, most people are still rushing into just doing what they do normally, but in a different and sometimes less effective way. Um, and just talking about the good old days, in a sense, um, Doc Searles shared an article that he wrote in 1995, so pre his blog, um, about the internet and the and the way it was going to change things. And it was just really interesting going back and reading it, because I had read it when it first came out, but going back and reading it with what we now are experiencing. And, you know, that's one of the, the things that, in a sense, keeps me optimistic, that in the same ways it's been incredibly frustrating how long it seems to have been taking most people to catch up with what's possible, this is speeding it up. Um, albeit, you know, they're not, they're not going to immediately rush into sort of effective creative uses of this stuff. There's a lot of catching up to be done, a lot of reinvention to be, you know, I think we'll come out of this with new, potentially with new tools and new mixes of tools and new organisations that will will will... Enable those new mixes of tools. You know, we're still again, we're still wedging this into a, cons, you know, a current conception of what an organisation is and what it looks like and what it feels like. I agree.
0: It could be an opportunity. There is definitely some movement. Uh, I, I, I was chatting with uh, Matt Moore early today, and uh, he was saying too. It feels a little bit like you know, two thousand two, uh, when a lot of uh, you know when ross mayfield was doing that work where we were doing the work where you know when, when i guess when we all first met and uh, i think that at that point we were coming out of the of the burst bubble of 2001 mm. yeah. but um, there was this idea of trying to find new tools and trying to find new ways to organize information, to manage information, to, you know, you were in charge of knowledge management. Um, But... uh, My dark past. (laughs) It might very well be possible that uh, this time around, instead of being the, you know, six of us, Plotting in the dark (laughs) uh, There might be users for this uh, Because like it or not For the last 10 years uh, Facebook and Apple and Google Have been training people To use tools in a way that uh, You know in 2002 just did not exist I mean when we created our first uh, Matt went down memory lane A couple of days ago And we found a whole bunch of links To uh, you know our own K collector or aggregator and our stuff mm-hmm. and um, you know back in that day the idea of a stream of news that you would just scroll down was odd. I mean, we we had to convince people that the idea that you scroll down a page and you find information after information was a viable way of finding stuff, uh, while. You know, nowadays, it's uh, the default way to consume information that pretty much everybody is using. So I wonder if, uh, you know, we could have this renaissance of, uh, you know, is there some room to create new tools, to imagine new ways to use the tools that we have to, you know, make things better? Because to be honest, last time we tried, we failed.
1: Yeah, well, I I was also going to say that I think part of the risk or the challenge is that you need to have a different mindset as well as new tools. And I think too much faith has been placed in technology as as a sort of magic wand that will make people better. Um, But people have to change as well and their perspectives of what, they won't have to change. And, you know, again, I wrote a post about less and becoming comfortable with less and that that's maybe something we will all have to achieve. And, you know, I think this is independent of coronavirus. I think this was something that was going to hit us anyway in terms of automation and, you know, however fast automation and AI happen, I think there's a very strong likelihood that more significant percentages of the population will not have what's conventionally thought of as a job. You know, we've talked about this before. And that will take quite a lot of individual and societal adjustment in terms of what we value, how we value it, who we recognise, who we don't. And again, even just, you know, through this set of circumstances, people who were deemed unskilled labour by Pretty Patel uh, only three or four months ago are now completely crucial people in the in the, in society. You know, people like drivers, people who work in shops, people who work in hospitals, you know. And all the bullshit jobs, if you're, kind of, if you're able to sit and do the bullshit work sitting at home, you begin to think, well, how important are all of those jobs? Um, and so I think that's... You know, I think we should be being brave and... Uh, thinking as big as we can at the moment. And even down to, it's a funny mutual friend of ours, Fleming Funch, who's just shared an article about how scientists are postulating off the back of, I can't remember, the computer scientist guy who suggested that the whole world was a computer simula- simulation and as a philosophical challenge, how would, how would we know, sort of thing. And this is beginning to talk about quantum physicists, talking about the universe creating the image of itself that we experience and that it's not actually there. It's just a set of holograms almost. I didn't fully read the article. But just chatting to Fleming in the comments, I was saying, well, it's fascinating how that article didn't even reference the fact that mystics, however you define mystic, but Buddhists or Hindus or, you know, Christian mystics have said that for thousands of years, that that, that the whole thing is a is a construct and is is part of our biological capability to have imagination. And, you know, if you're having those sort of scale of shifts happening at the same time then this fixation with the material world and getting more of the stuff in that material world at the cost of our ability to survive as a species starts to look decidedly problematic you know and so again it'd be really really sad if we just came out of this with the same bloody blinkered you know I've got to get the latest best biggest thingy and I'm quite happy to screw up my life and the planet at the same time.
0: Well, as usual, it's probably going to mostly be a matter of uh, how many people are going to change their position, their ideas, yeah. and the way they perceive the world. In the sense that uh, I still see plenty of people that I wouldn't trust with anything <laughs> being out there, <laughs> um, and uh, I'm, I don't, don't have name names. I don't have huge <laughs> expectations there. But, I mean, just uh, it hasn't happened he- here yet, but uh, it's probably going to happen within the next two weeks. Um, I, c- I can see the future. It's called Italy. <laughs> I, yeah, I Whoa. can totally. I can time travel. I, c- I can time travel. <laughs> I can see the future Two weeks, I can say two weeks in the future. So in yeah. two weeks, uh, here the government will announce uh, an app that will help with the, the contact tracing uh, initiative, uh, and people will freak out about their privacy, and they will hmm. say that this is a police state trying to control us, and uh, and then confusion will ensue.
1: But that so that's interesting because that, uh, we we shared an article by Mark Manson about just how nobody's got a fucking clue what's going on. And we get fed all this information about who's doing what and what's working, what's not, what statistics are true. You know, last week I think smokers were more likely to die, this week there's less likely to die. Um, And we make, you know, I'm not saying you don't have foresight into the future, Paolo, but, you know, we've got this sort of idea that just because something has happened somewhere else, it will happen the same way where we are. And that's nonsense too, because we're... You know, how different communities, different cultures, different groups of people react to things is, is, is more different, I think, than we... We're sort of clinging to the idea that this is somehow manageable and, and we can predict it.
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, I, uh, I mostly have the desperate feeling that uh, mistakes were made in one place uh, two weeks ago and here the same mistakes are being made just two weeks later, and this feels particularly stupid because you could just just seen what the other time I'd done something different. Because I mean, yes, maybe it's not the same people, the same situation, but just try to do something different for the sake of it. Because doing the same thing, so far, if you look at the at uh, all the curves, are just yeah. perfectly aligned. And it's and it's almost desperate and and, and you you look at this and uh, you know we, I think we we discussed about last last week about uh, you know Google and Apple uh, effort in, in doing their oh. building the uh, the features there in the, their systems. What is interesting is that it, uh, I don't know if you noticed in the last update from Apple, they started calling it exposure notification. No. Instead of contact tracing, and it's it's very clever because actually oh, well, it's a, it? Yeah. It, it's yeah, yeah. A, you know it's a name but you know it's not they're not tracing contact they're just notifying exposure
1: alerting you yes yeah, so it's in your interest to know so it, yeah. it
0: is interesting how most government uh, in Europe were aligned uh, in something called a pan-European privacy-preserving proximity track tracing. Act that a,
1: trips off the tongue,
0: doesn't is it? Is a p p p p p t, p t, <laughs> and uh, uh, and basically, well, stuck there. And, and basically, this the idea of this was it, it was a, a based on a on a central repository of information. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that the last one was Germany that yesterday stepped away from that standard and embraced Apple and Google standard, which mm. is completely decentralized.
1: Really interesting, isn't it? Yeah.
0: And, uh, and and this is basically the French government. The French government, like, tried to push Apple saying, you know, you have to do this. And Apple said, no. Uh, the German government said, Google and Apple, you have to do what we want. And Google and Apple said, no. Yep and now you're saying all right then then we'll just do what apple and google do that huh? yeah. <laughs> it's like okay it's a good thing because i trust way more apple and google to come up with a standard than you know yeah. the, the usual suspects. um it's interesting how they try to resist it but The funny thing is that uh, basically in order to do what uh, uh, the, you know, European governments wanted to do, they would have had to create an app that would have had always to be uh, have to be the front app with the phone turn on, which basically would have been, you know, you have two hours autonomy and then the phone dies and but in order to have this thing working in the background if if apple and google don't give you the api you just can't do it and
1: uh so apple and google just won but you know it's interesting you're saying that you try because i'm I'm the same i i I, (sighs) it's a big word trust isn't it but i'm more comfortable
0: Uh, let's say that you know we don't trust you don't trust anybody a hundred percent but you have shades of trust right
1: yeah. and, and the fact that, that 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 we I suppose are geeky enough to know enough to know that that decentralized principle matters you know it's it's again it's this thing about learning enough about technology to know what's being done to you um, or for you or on your behalf or or whatever Um I think is again an an important element of what's happening that even just the fuss around Zoom and the security around that it's it's no bad thing that more people are getting more savvy about and not being so dismissive about technology because that 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 set of judgments as to what we are comfortable with need need to be better informed. <laughs> But it's always a tiny minority that
0: makes these changes, right? So I, bis- I guess that the, the point here is that what I'm happy about is that a, a private company that has nothing to do whatsoever with democracy is actually making decision against the democratically elected mm-hmm. government about our privacy and uh, we're basically happy with it which is odd if you think about it
1: well that's what i'm saying but it's because we understand you know the risks of the alternative i guess
0: but i think that what is interesting is that uh, you're basically we're trusting a minority instead of the majority right so the point is we're not going with uh, most what most people would want to do which is uh, Essentially, probably elect fascist politician. Actually, this is exactly what they're doing, uh, and trying to find ways for minorities of probably people that care more mm. about something to Trust. influence yeah. the direction of society. Is this good? Is this bad? I mean, I suppose that it is good in this situation, but is this under control in any way, shape, or form? No. Uh, so
1: you know. it's really interesting because it sort of harks back, you know, it's a, a slight whiff of the prob- the the way we got into the problem with Trump and Boris about populism and and you know a liberal elite knowing what's good for people. Um, and I worked for an organisation for 21 years that was sort of founded on the principle of knowing what was good for people. Um, and in a sense, we are saying that Google and Apple know what's good for people. Essentially, yeah, yeah.
0: I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying that they are. I'm saying that right now they're behaving and they yeah. have the power yeah. to do it. Yeah. Yep. So I, so yeah. it's another of those interesting conundrums that we that this whole crisis is exposing. Right. It's. Uh, yeah. yeah not only how much is a life worth and 10 and 100 you know where where do you stop? and and i guess the other thing is where is this happening i mean i was
1: mm-hmm.
0: reading a couple of days ago the bangladesh minister sent an appeal for these thousand of rohingya um tries to run away from Myanmar they tried to get to Malaysia they were pushed back I mean these are floating on ships in the middle of the ocean there are thousands of them apparently there are a million refugees and uh, and the the minister basically said you know why don't uh, the, why do, I think that he specifically pointed a finger at the UK why don't you take some that would be a rather cheap thing to do. <laughs> no. Right? It wouldn't be that hard. Yeah. Uh that's not gonna happen. So, you know, oh, because we care about life no, more ones. than the more than the economy, but we care about life of the Britishers as but more than life of others. So it's it's, it's Well well, bit, we, well
1: okay? again that's one of the things that sense of division and you know getting woo woo again for a minute the whole thing about the self and other and and the whole narrative around this little me that I have to protect and defend against all comers and blah 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 but we are all actually an intrinsic part of the life of this planet just trundling along doing what it does without us having any remote idea of why or any sense of control over it and as more people hopefully and I'm more and more overt about talking about it become aware that that's actually what's happening that we don't have control, all our plans and all our busyness is, is, is kind of happening around us and to us, then things like wars or things like not helping each other or seeing a zero-sum game in terms of resources uh, begin to look counterproductive not productive, it's, it's all of us that are in this and screwing somebody else means you're screwing yourself
0: Oh well, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, if if there is one thing that we might expect from from all this is going to be international collaboration yeah. around yeah. Uh, uh, healthcare. Yeah. Because uh, a it's much more effective if we all try to find a vaccine or a cure, or than if you know each and every individual country sort doing it. But also. If we help uh, poorer countries to fight this and to be more prepared for this, it means that the next time it starts in any of these countries, they will have the tool to fight it before it gets here. So it's in everybody's
1: interest to try to to do better than we have. Sort of for the first time. And, and, And that's what, again, is exciting about the technology, because the first opportunity we've had as a planetary species to be forced to deal with an issue that it, it, by its very nature crosses all the boundaries that we set up. We have a technology that allows us to do the same while we're talking about it, if we choose to make it useful for that.
0: Yeah, it's the first time that uh, as a species we have real-time, com- we have global real-time communication yep. when when a global event hits us. Yep. Uh, let's see what we do with it but uh...
1: better bloody get it right don't we
0: <laughs> <laughs> well you know uh, I mean I, I think you sent this morning uh, the, the the article uh, by Mark Manson uh and uh, I very much like the at the beginning said no one no one has any idea what the fuck is happening or what we should do about it. Yeah, uh, which I think is a very very accurate description of the current situation. Um, and it's interesting in yep. you know trying to handle this uncertainty and trying to see what will come out of this is definitely going to be
1: interesting. But also. So a couple of the people when I posted about uh, what matters and and taking the opportunity to think about what matters, you know, I think it was Rick Lad who may listen to this podcast. He said, "Well, I'll, I'll, I can do that once somebody's covered my mortgage payments and my blah blah and, and whatever." You know, and again, not dismissing the challenge that meeting financial, you know, which I'm facing to some extent as well that, that we all do. Um, I'm not dismissing that. But equally, expecting somebody else to sort it out is still part of that world where you've got people in charge, systems that are meant to work, and you collapse if they don't. And, you know, that's one of the things I took from the the Mark Manson article. And it's even just talking to my girls this morning, you know, I know one of our friends is really stressing over failing in his role to provide for his family... Uh, and we were chatting about this, and I just looked at the girls and said, "Well, you've known you're on your own for some time, haven't you? you?" know. But in a sense, that was what I saw as my job: was giving them the wherewithal, and the outlook, and the inclination to look after themselves. To, you know, I'm not saying I'm not caring what happens to my kids, but I don't want my kids to pe- to depend on me, and I don't want them to depend on a government either. I don't want them to depend on some corporate entity. To whatever extent it's possible. And this is why it's really, really hard because we've got so embedded into this world of expecting somebody else to look after us. But that might be one of the things that we came out of this with. Did you? Uh, I, I
0: think I sent you a link uh, a couple of weeks ago of a video on YouTube of uh, Smarter Every Day um, where these guys show how they organize local production of uh, yes. 3D printed masks. Yes. Uh, And uh, I think that what was especially interesting there is that uh, they were not only sharing the design so they were not only sharing the you know 3d file that you need to print to make the mask but they were sharing the methodology and the approach yeah. so it's like how do you organize yourself to do that how do you find the people how do you find the place how do you disinfect how you distribute uh, and i think it was very interesting because this was Clearly, a grassroots organization that was basically creating the basis
1: to replicate itself. Yes, exactly that, and so and that's where I, I was sort of going with my thinking that that everybody has their own capacity within their own sphere of influence to build similar networks and capabilities.
0: I guess the important thing is what do you do with these networks capabilities mm-hmm. and how do you make them resilient? How do you create a system that, you know, even if you don't know everybody that you need to know, you can still start building it and get somewhere and, and you know, get a result? Because, I mean, the, the, the real trick here is how do you create self-replicating resilient initiatives that uh, you know leverage the network effect to have a global yeah. impact and uh, it, you know it's 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 possible i i will post a link to the video it's 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 very interesting um but uh, you know i haven't seen that many of these uh, situation starts and uh, and i think what was interesting is that the way he was describing it is uh it's saying you know this can be used to make a 3D printing mask, but the same approach can be used to any number of different things. So yeah. first thing, figure out what your community needs and then organize or create a self-organized system that can basically satisfy the need of a community. It's very interesting. It's incredibly powerful. Um,
1: it's sort of going back to the cathedral and the bazaar again, isn't it? And And when you were describing that system where you don't need to know people... To trust them made me think of uh, you know Linux and open source software and was hailed as a, a revolutionary way of doing things that never really made the transition from software to, to the real world, as it were. But, again, I think that's partly down to the critical mass of people who believe it's possible. And so many of us... Brainwashed is too, too um, deliberate, but... We've all sort of fallen into this dream, this this sleep of of thinking we can't do that. Um, It's not true. I think that the trick here is how
0: do we create the environment or the tools that allow people to contribute? Yes. Yes. Because, uh, you know, we can't expect everybody to build their own tools. I mean, there is, but I mean, I I like to think of myself as a toolmaker. I mean, I've been building digital tools for you know the last 30 years so what is that we can create that uh, will empower uh, you know communities to to do something because it's it's all about creating meaningful frameworks i mean yesterday i watched a a movie on prime called the professor and the madman which is is a story of uh, how the Initial version of the English Oxford Dictionary All came right. to be, and they basically put out an appeal for definition of words, and anybody could send <laughs> that in a definition. Anybody could find in a book the usage of a word that they could just copy the the quotation and send it Fantastic. back. Fantastic. And turns out that uh, more than ten thousand of these contributions were sent by an american uh <laughs> former army captain who was uh, in a, an asylum in <laughs> the uk he was mad like he had killed somebody and he was kept in an asylum um but he, is and he is one of the best contributors. At some point, he was recognized as a contributor of the of the initial
1: effort. And how many of those words are now in common usage and shape the worlds that we live in?
0: But what is what but what is fascinating is that uh, this was they had tried to compile the dictionary to begin with, but they failed to do it because it was such a huge effort. The way it worked is because this other guy, the professor. Uh, who was Scottish actually? So the, basically, the first English genre was made by a Scot and uh, an American. <laughs> Came up with this idea of asking for help. Yeah, yeah. And they basically posted everywhere. Every they were in, in every book published, they would put the note saying, "We're trying to do this. So why don't you
1: help us?" Yeah.
0: And uh, you know, you create a framework allowing people to contribute to help, and you can do wow, amazing so it's things. It's like the
1: Captain Tom story, getting twelve million quid, or or. You know, when they asked for volunteers for the NHS, they were inundated with people stepping forward for that. And you know, the tool could even just be that kind of a uh, an intervention technology necessarily. Oh no, absolutely, Need, but needs to
0: be a framework yeah. that allows some type of and action and makes
1: it clear and obvious what you're, what 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 you you could possibly contribute to that. It's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean. It beats clapping every Thursday evening. But it's 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 tapping into the same, I think, growing instinct. I think people are, when they're less busy, they're more aware of how much they need to look after each other. I, I find it really, really interesting, cause I think, <laughs> I hope politicians are going to find it hard to keep a lid on this. They're increasingly looking... More more than stupid, just just out of touch, you know. With notable exceptions, which we've talked about before, like Jacinda Ardern and 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 others, but conventional politics is just really not keeping up with the mood of people. And I don't just mean my little my little bubble in the southeast, you know.
0: <laughs> That's why the prime minister that's but why the Prime
1: minister managed to remove himself from the scene for three years well days. at least at least he wasn't telling people to inject bloody bleach oh very much I'm very happy we've, we've avoided it so far but it had to be talked about didn't it
0: okay okay yeah okay okay. <laughs> yeah okay
1: was that yeah, the elephant we, in the room we,
0: now I feel better <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> well that's just uh, both up didn't it
0: it's a day and on this optimistic note I think we're ready to call this a day. Thank you very much for listening and yep. uh, tune in for the next episodes sometime in the future.